Welcome to Empowered Leadership. We share candid conversations with successful leaders about what it takes to cultivate the leadership, life, and legacy you desire, and to do it with confidence, ease, and joy. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. In some performance reviews, they put people on this matrix of willingness versus ability. It's, you know, the ability is, can they do it? And the other Mm -hmm. is, do they want to do it? (laughs) Because you kind of need to have the confluence of both for someone to be effective. And I, I think that also applies in this situation here, because you can identify what needs to be done. But the big challenge is, how do you get people to be both willing and able to make that change? Hello, welcome to Empowered Leadership. I'm Alexandra Reese, your host, and joining me today is Doug Hunter, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Arjuna Solutions. Doug has more than three decades of experience in marketing leadership, including over 20 years at Lattice Semiconductor, one of Oregon's most successful publicly traded companies, which I believe clocked in over $600 million in revenues last year. Doug is an accomplished marketing leader with experience in shaping brands, generating demand, and building high-performing teams. Two things I most appreciate about Doug are, one, his creativity. He once found a way to drive revenues through merging hip-hop, and semiconductors, an unlikely combination. Uh, You'll have to listen to today's episode to hear more about that experience. The second is his adaptability. Doug has driven really significant results in his leadership roles, both at a major publicly traded company and now at a high growth startup. I was so inspired by my conversation with Doug that our insights packed discussion lasts for well over an hour. And as a result, I've broken this episode down into two parts. Part one, the part you're listening to now, focuses on stories and insights, largely from Doug's experience empowering people to achieve boldness in large, complex organizations, which if you work at one of those, you know how much of a feat that is. Part two, which you can find wherever you downloaded part one, focuses on stories and insights from Doug's transition away from Lattice after a 23-year career, and then at his role in the high-growth startup where he is today. I hope you'll listen to part two. It's a pretty different tone and tenor, but an equally insightful conversation. Without further ado, let's dive in. All right, Doug, well, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Empowered Leadership. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Alexandra. It's great to be here. It's a sunny day out there. We back up to a wetland, got all sorts of wildlife coming by. It always makes a nice break from kind of the corporate monotony to, to see the wildlife and to see another side of life out there. I think that was the biggest gift of remote work during COVID was Mm-hmm. Being able to work from home and anytime I wanted, just step outside and bask in the yes. sunlight. Yes. <laughs> it was a really nice change from being in an office all day. You know, once I went and I was working out of a coffee shop, and this is before remote work was starting to become a thing. I took a video call from my boss and we we're talking. Then he stops and goes, wait, where are you? Oh, at the coffee shop. Yeah, I did that all the time. I open with this with people who know me, I have ADHD and it's very hard for me to sit still for a long period of time in Mm -hmm. one place. So Mm -hmm. being in an office environment was 
one of the hardest things for me to mm-hmm. do once mm-hmm. I entered the career world. So being mm-hmm. able to, I always shared with managers and people with whom I worked that I'm going to get up, I'm going to move a lot. I'm probably going to do some work from a coffee mm-hmm. shop, some from mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Please measure me based on the value I contribute, yes. not yes. the number of hours I'm sitting at a desk in the office. Yes. And oh, yeah. some receive that better than others. Yeah, no, I was glad that you found some managers who would take that. I know for me, I'm a person, I don't, I guess, I guess my mom, my wife's called me ADHD as well, but being in something like a coffee shop where there's all sorts of activity and buzz, some people can't stand that. But for me, mm-hmm. just the momentary hearing the clink over there, seeing someone walk over there, smelling the, you know, the, the sense of the coffee wafting through, they provide enough outside things and movement that it actually helps me stay on task longer. Yeah, there's been some really interesting research done about the optimal decibel level of background noise that uh, Mm. promotes focus. And Mm -hmm. they found that in many cases, a coffee shop actually provides that optimal decibel level of background noise. So your experience makes perfect sense, given what I've read of the research and my own personal experience as well. And the critical thing is to make sure that you're not sitting next to someone who's having a fascinating conversation. Yes. Well, To transition us into a little bit of a different sphere of conversation, as the name of this show is Empowered Leadership, the first question I always like to ask my guests is, what does empowered leadership mean to you? That's a really great question. I was thinking about that. There's a certain phrase, there's a certain sense where words like empowered and leadership almost become trite because they get used so much. Mm -hmm. But there's another sense where I think if you actually start picking them apart, and thinking about what they need and then sticking the two phrases together again. I think there might actually be something rather powerful there that you're onto something. So for me, empowered leadership means enabling people to be able to move forward boldly. And let me kind of unpack that a little bit for you phrase by phrase. So the enabling of people. And for me, what I found across the course of my career is focusing on why, not what, is the key to really enabling people. I think you know managers, leaders have a tendency just to tell people what to do, to tell them what they want. It's like, just give me the fourth quarter sales report. And if you ask for the fourth quarter sales report, you get the mm-hmm. fourth quarter sales report. But that may not be what you need. If you go back in and say, look, I'm helping the management team, they're helping the C-suite get ready for the analyst call in two weeks. We're trying to explain how the sales in the fourth quarter fell. And I think the fourth quarter sales report would be the best way to dig into that. Let me know what you think. You know, and the analyst on the side might come like, oh, now that I understand the problem, now that I understand the why, now I can come back to you and say like, no, 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 you don't want the fourth quarter sales report. You want the bi-channel report. And by the way, this is a two-year trend, not a one-quarter thing. So let me give you a longer time series. So it's yeah. a very tactical example, but it's an example of where you tell someone why you need something instead of just making a demand of them, you're going to enable them to be much more effective and enable them to really solve the problem that you and your team are facing. So when I send people an email asking them for something, I will always try and take the time to tell them why. And it really doesn't take that much additional work. You know, if you're having a conversation with someone, it really just adds another minute or two to the conversation. If you're sending an email, that's two to three lines to the email. But getting that why and the reason behind the question, the reason behind the request will often get you much better results than if you presuppose that you know it all, you know, and you know, as well as I do, Alexander, that not everybody knows it all. Yeah. Not only will it get you better 
answers because you're mm-hmm. going to the people who are closest to the situation and oh, asking yeah, absolutely. them for their yep. insight. But you're also going to get more engaged and happy mm-hmm. people because yes. you're yes. demonstrating when you ask someone, what's your perspective? What would you recommend I look like that you value them mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you value their perspective and you think yes. they're intelligent? And yes. that gives people meaning in their yes, work. And absolutely. meaning is what keeps absolutely. people engaged. Right. And keeps people engaged with your team and it helps extend their tenure with the company. So no, great point. So it was enabling people to move forward. So the second part, the moving forward, you know, that's about things like people, processes, and systems. I can't ask you to do something, but then not give you the resources that you need to do that. And some things like additional staff, additional tools are very obvious. But there may also be things like political support that people need. They may be fully capable of moving forward, but they don't have the organizational stature to get it done, for example. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think, again, going back to the person you're working with is asking them what they need, not telling them what they need, not telling them the resources you're going to give them, asking them what they need to get the job done. That enables them to move forward. Then the last part there was I talked about moving forward boldly. And I stuck boldly on there because, you know, I used to have this list of like 10, 12 things I always go over with new members of the team, you know, kind of my and my expectations. You know, and one of them would be is to take risks, to fail. You know, it's like if you're not failing, you're not trying. Because if you want to do something new mm-hmm. and different, if you want to move forward boldly, moving forward boldly always involves some element of risk. And you have to tell people that I expect you to do things. I expect you to try things. You know, we would always allocate some percentage of our budget and some percentage of our time to go try new things. And we expected that a good portion of them would not work. And so we had a rigorous process of going through trying new things, but then we'd also post-mortem it and understand why it didn't work. And when people know that they're expected to take risks, when people know that it's okay to fail, they know that they're expected to figure out how to do it differently next time, then you have an organization which can do new and different things and can do things boldly. So what does empowered leadership mean? Enabling people to move forward boldly. I love that. And thank you for putting that fine point on it at the end. You know, I think that point about boldness can't mm-hmm. be overstated in today's mm-hmm. world. We know mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when there are times of economic uncertainty or downturns, mm-hmm. the companies and organizations that come out ahead are not the ones that just batten down the hatches mm-hmm. and waited it out. They're the ones mm-hmm. who are able to take bold moves to mm-hmm. take a leap forward because right. there's often a lot more space in the market for your mm-hmm. voice to be mm-hmm. heard as other companies yes. cut back yes. marketing budget. Yeah. People are often more open to new ways of right. doing things. So it's a great mm-hmm. opportunity to launch a new mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. or a service. Mm-hmm. And it's often a great time to introduce new processes and ways of working for that right. same reason in your organization. Mm-hmm. So I think that point about boldness being integral to empowered leadership is super important. And Maybe the thing I'll add there about supporting and enabling boldness is the importance of both incentivizing it. Mm -hmm. So 
I see a lot of organizations that I've worked with when I try and dig into why is your strategy not generating results? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. that they say they're open to failure, but then people's incentive structures are such that they have to hit 100% of their goals. And it's like, well, what are people going to listen to? What you say or what their incentive system incentive? Yeah. So you have to set it so if they hit 80%, they get 100% payout. I think the second thing I'd add is when you do those postmortems, there are two additional things I think companies can do at that point to really um, set the right tone or reinforce the right tone. And that is to focus on what did we learn that we can scale? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. just why did this go poorly, but what did we learn that we can bring forward mm-hmm. in a positive way? Right. Maybe a, a kernel there mm-hmm. that we can build mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And the second is to celebrate, celebrate a job well done that we put ourselves Absolutely. out there. Absolutely. We tested, we tried, we learned, we mm-hmm. hopefully followed the scientific method. So had right. some rigor right. in our experience. I love like the Etsy three-armed sweater award is a great example. That's cool. I haven't heard of that one before. You know, I think the other thing I'll toss into the pile with what you just said is this boldness and this risk-taking and this empowered leadership. Are there things that have to happen up and down the entire chain of command? Because, you know, people at the individual contributor level, they need to be willing to do this. Um, You know, so, so basically the staff below you, how do you enable the staff below you to do this? Then it's the staff above you, like your boss. You know, we don't talk an awful lot about upward management. And I, and I don't mean manipulating your boss. The, there may be a time and place for that. But but, <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's how do you enable your boss to be successful and yeah. to move forward boldly? And how do you enable the people that you work with, your peers, your colleagues, how do you enable them to, to move forward boldly? You know, and it's interesting because what I found is in today's companies, no one works in a vacuum. You touch other people in other departments, other ranks, and they all have to be moving forward or you're not going to be able to, to get it. Let me just give you one really wild example of something bold. So in my previous job, I worked for a semiconductor company. And we had this one guy on my team who was an amazing creative. He was, he was an absolutely amazing creative, but he had absolutely no structure. So he he was actually kind of on the border getting fired because he he just couldn't get anything done. So what we did is we partnered up because I'm I'm good at bringing process and structure, you know, and I and I helped him learn how to get stuff done, how learn how to do process and structure. And he could bring the creativity to it. And we produced a hip hop video for the semiconductor <laughs> company. And, I love and, that. <laughs> and we filmed it using employees. We got this outside videographer and you know, there's people doing the, I'm not going to attempt to do any of the rap. It's, I'm not sure if it's still <laughs> it's there. Like, do YouTube. you want to recreate that? <laughs> oh man. It, it was, it was, it was an amazing thing, but this was back in, back in the early days, you know, where our average corporate semiconductor video was getting 300 views. And this thing got 10,000 views really quickly, wow. which, yeah. which, you know, in the context back then, and it's just, it was also the knock-on effect too for things like employee morale and employee pride is just like, oh, the management team, you know, it's not just that the people in the ranks can execute it, but the management team would allow that, you know, and again, and kind of in my role as an equipper, it wasn't just helping this person 
get access to the talent and the filming and the budget and everything else he needed. And he did a magnificent job when he was equipped and when he was told to go for it. The other part of enabling that you didn't state explicitly, but is clear in your story is, you know, this idea of recognizing what are people's superpowers, what are their Mm, strengths, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how do I enable them to lean into those and Mm -hmm. then complement where they have weaknesses? Right. I often see, even in a world where we talk a lot about Mm strengths-based development, Mm -hmm. I often Mm -hmm. see organizations when it comes time for performance reviews or Mm -hmm. feedback, Mm -hmm. really focusing on trying to develop people where they have significant weaknesses. Like in this example, somebody who's uber creative, but Mm -hmm. sucks at structure. Yes. And how good is that of the use of time if you could just pair that person on projects and initiatives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with someone who's really good at structure? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's such a great story because it illustrates the power of thinking about teams as a group of people with complementary skill sets Yes. Yep. that enable people to lean into their strengths and not worry mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. their weaknesses costing the team mm-hmm. the project mm-hmm. or the outcome. Yeah, I think two things I build on that when you talk about superpowers, it's it's listening to how people self-identify their superpowers as well. And this can happen mm-hmm. at so many different levels because there's things people can see things in you that you don't see in yourself, but you also have a pretty darn good idea of who you are. And this can manifest itself even in little ways. Cause like one thing I would do is I would not define the tempo of one-on-ones with my team members. I go to my team and say, how often do you need to meet? Mm-hmm. And so when I, my senior creative director, a uh, very mature woman, very, very accomplished, she's like, I need to talk to you every two weeks. Now, I mean, now there's a reality that, you know, we were talking to each other multiple times during yeah. the day because we're a couple at the hip and working so closely together. But in terms of a formal sit down to kind of go through things, soup to nuts, top to bottom, you know, she said, look, I just want to see you every other week. On the other hand, I had a very junior member of the team who's like, yeah, let's do a stand-up every other day. And whereas with the first person, the senior person, we would have you know an hour, hour and a half long meeting every two weeks and just get deeply into things and put our heads together. This more junior person was much more tactical. And it was literally a stand-up. You know, we had we had a stand-up desk that we went to, mm-hmm. and it was it could be a five, 10-minute meeting, it could be a 20, 30-minute meeting. But that's what he needed. So, you know, the key was listening to them. I think the other important thing is, it's not just the superpowers of individuals, it's the superpowers of the team, and it's the team culture and the team dynamic. One thing which I would always do whenever I was merging two groups or something is I'd cast aside all the reports and routines that I had in place. And I would go and try and understand who they were and what they were doing and what was working and what was not working. So as a manager, you have to be a leader. You have to be willing to change and adapt based on what's working on the other side. Because what's happening on the other side might actually be working better than what you've got. So it's not just paying attention to the people. It's paying attention to the broader picture of the broader culture of the broader team, if that makes sense. Oh, Absolutely. And having the humility to be able to say, maybe the way we're doing things, it's working, but maybe it's not Mm -hmm. the best. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm open to doing things differently. And I think that experience that you just described of going through an mm-hmm. acquisition, mm-hmm. that's as true as when you bring a new person onto your team or you go through a reorg and you're creating mm-hmm. a new team. Mm-hmm. That's a real opportunity as a leader or a manager to reset. Mm-hmm. What are our team norms? How are we defining our purpose as a team? our individual mm-hmm. roles and responsibilities, mm-hmm. how we collaborate, how we maintain healthy mm-hmm. relationships. And the key to doing that successfully, I think mm-hmm. embedded in your story is humility. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you go through enough times of forcing people to do it your way and then flopping <laughs> that you start to realize like, yeah. oh, maybe I should listen. And I think the challenge is, not just listening to the people who speak up, it's listening to the whole team. You know, I've had team members, I'm thinking of one person in particular, and this person would like almost never say anything in a, in a group meeting. But over time of working with her, I realized that she's got some really good insights. So, you know, I developed the habit of, you know, before we come to a decision, for example, going around the room, asking every single person, you know, whether, whether it's it's live and you're asking every person around the table, you're asking every box up on Zoom, is making sure you're actively soliciting every person because there's some people, they just won't speak up in the meeting. Good facilitation skills will go a long way <laughs> when you're leading a team. Yeah. Well, <laughs> making sure that all voices are, all voices and perspective have an equal opportunity to be heard and that you're actively soliciting them in a way where people feel safe to speak up right. and valued when they speak up is paramount to making sure you have the right perspectives and the right input to make a good decision. Well, it's interesting when you think about how a leader is measured. You know, the leader is not measured or looked, you know, in, in historical terms as being a great leader just solely for the, the inspirational speeches they made around the water cooler. You know, the great leader is recognized for what they, which is really code for what their teams got done. You know, as a leader, as a manager, your strength, your effectiveness comes from your ability. And I'm going to loop us right back to the top here, Alexandra. Loop us back to your ability to empower your team and to get them moving effectively in a coordinated way forward. If the focus is on you and you alone and what you can do, you're not going to get there. I remember a career-defining moment at the start of my career. I was working for a manuf- contract manufacturing startup. We were doing electronic component assembly. It was a really great job. I learned so, so much there. But I ended up fairly quickly in a management role. And at one point, you know, I'm like 22, 23 years old. I had 100 people working for me. And it was just an awesome experience. But there's, you know, my boss gave me this whole list of stuff to do, and I was having a hard time getting it all done. And we're doing through one on one. It's like, Andy, I can't get this all done. You know, he said, Doug, do this. I can't. I said, No, no, Doug. When I said, You, I mean, the royal you. That's call, a powerful call. moment. <laughs> what, what is it? It's, it's calling me out for, you know, when he hands it to me, he's not necessarily handing it to me personally, he's handing it to, the team, the broader team, to the people that I am, you know, entrusted to lead, and you know, I need to, I need to use that. That's <laughs> that's just a really valuable leadership, you know. That I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of the rudder on this big boat. 
That's a great metaphor. And that's a great time to learn that lesson in your first job. I, uh, you know, at that executive assembly retreat, I was mm-hmm. a little surprised by, I appreciated the vulnerability. I was also a little mm-hmm. surprised mm-hmm. by the number of people who shared that even in executive positions, they continue to struggle with doing the work of their team mm-hmm. and micromanaging. Well, and I yeah. I often wonder, how did you not get that lesson early in your career? And I it makes me a little sad, just the dearth of really good management and leadership training and coaching out there, because it is a skill. It's very different to empower people, which is leadership, than it is to do the work and deliver Mm -hmm. results Mm -hmm. through your own individual efforts. And so many people never learn and have an opportunity to really learn that skill set of empowerment, which mm-hmm. to our mm-hmm. entire conversation is really a set of skills that requires learning and it requires right. practice and it requires mm-hmm. reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right that there's not either the formal training or the mentorship, but there's not as much of it as there should be. I remember when I got promoted from manager to director, you know, as one of my career transition points, I was talking with a colleague outside the company. He said, Oh, director, so you're now managing managers now. Like, yeah, he's like, that's different. And and I had no idea what he meant. I mean, I figured it out pretty quickly because before you were either in the trenches or you were with the people who were in the trenches and the point where you become managing managers or the point where you're managing directors who are managing managers who are managing individual contributors, Mm -hmm. you start to get so disconnected from the work. And it's a different skill set to manage that and affect change through all those different levels. I'm curious. I I think that's a really important nuance that we don't talk about often enough, which is the distinction between managing individual contributors or managing a a relatively small team Mm -hmm. and managing managers or directors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what that means in terms of your disconnect from Mm -hmm. what's happening on the ground. So what's really happening in the business on a day-to-day level. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what did you do to help to ensure you had the right global perspective? Mm-hmm. You were able to drill down into what was happening at the ground frequently mm-hmm. enough that you maintain that connection. First, I'll give you kind of the MBA answer, which is having the right metrics in place. Do you have the right warning signs in place to tell you that when things are going well, when they're not going well down at the operational level? Um you know, I would do things like, you know, there's quantitative metrics in terms of productivity, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's also just more qualitative things like I would ask the team members to each generate a one-on-one. I wouldn't read every one-on-one every week, but you go in there, you sample them, and you start to get a sense of who's doing what at a very, you know, tactical level. Um, one thing that we would do is I wouldn't just meet with my managers. I would have team meetings with the whole team. And I wouldn't just let the manager speak and encourage people at the working level to speak. Because if you're the person who's working on this project and you have the firsthand knowledge of what's going on, I'd really rather get the firsthand of what's going on. Now that works, you know, when you have a team of 10, when you have a team of 20, mm-hmm. it doesn't work when you have a team of a hundred or a thousand and you have to do things different got to create those direct feedback circles that Mm -hmm. enable you as a leader to go build the right relationships, build trust, 
so that you're getting that feedback from the Mm -hmm. people who are closest to the work. Mm -hmm. And to your point, it's, there's no silver bullet. It's a mix of surveys. It's a mix of getting out there and being where your people are on a regular enough basis. Mm -hmm. I think something you didn't share, I'd assume you did it, but I think is really important is uh, telling stories regularly Mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. you know, I received this feedback from somebody, here's what I did to take action on it. And really mm-hmm. appreciating mm-hmm. that person, maybe you don't mm-hmm. share their name, mm-hmm. but telling mm-hmm. stories about how feedback changed your perspective and changed yeah. your action yeah. so that people start to learn it's worth it for me to speak up mm-hmm. because when well, I take the risk, it leads to change. Well, just feedback, period. I think too often we do, we're just so focused on, you know, get it out, get it out, get it done, get it done, mm-hmm. get it done, that when you have a customer or when you have someone from the department just come back and say like, Wow, Joe did great on that. You know, I used to keep a folder in my email just called kudos, where, you know, it was just a place where I would stash stuff for someone passed back something resembling a compliment. And if it involves someone else, I would send it to them. I'd send it to the team to to celebrate what people are doing and say, like, what you are doing matters. What you are doing is noticed to give some sense of meaning and purpose to the work that they're doing. They're just not grinding out a set of spreadsheets. Yeah. And taking the paycheck and going home. It's like, no, no, no. This stuff makes a difference. Recognition is powerful. It's the most powerful performance management tool that most organizations have at their disposal and also one of the least leveraged. Which is recognition will impact performance more than constructive feedback will, more than really any other tool you have at your disposal. What makes it doubly amazing that it's not done more is that it's so cheap. It's to send an email to make the comment in the meeting. It's not that expensive. And there's different ways of giving recognition too. You know, when I had to present to the company on different topics or projects or something, I would often invite the team members who actually worked on the problem to come up and co-present because you did the work, you know, step up and take credit for it. You understand Mm -hmm. it and you can present it at a deeper level than I can. Now, going back to what you were saying earlier about the cycles and the feedback and stuff like that, I think there's a very important element in there, which is the intentionality. You know, whether whether it's, you know, putting in a more formal system like you're thinking about or hopping on an airplane to visit or, you know, spreading out uh, feedback and kudos you have to be intentional about it. You have to allocate time to it. You have to put it on your to-do list. You have to put it on your calendar. Otherwise, it's just going to get crowded out by whatever's due tomorrow. And so taking the time, making the investment to do that is just invaluable. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the biggest barriers to leaders and managers not micromanaging is because they don't know what they're supposed to do with their time. If they're not Mm. doing their work, I hear from a lot of, especially newer managers, okay, but what am I doing then? And that's a great example of what you should be doing. You should be just present, spending time with people. You should have space in your calendar because that signals to people that I'm available and I have time for Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. You should be regularly, intentionally recognizing people. Mm -hmm recognizing them through, to your point, coaching them to do a great Mm -hmm. presentation of their work, 
recognizing them through emails to team Mm -hmm. members Mm -hmm. in public forums, recognizing people, not just for accomplishments Mm -hmm. in the business, but for living the values. And you should be mentoring, which you've talked a lot about. That's a great Mm -hmm. way to Mm -hmm. grow and develop people is spending time mentoring. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much that leaders could be doing if they let go of the doing of the work. Yeah, it's redefining what people's work is. I mean, I have these existential mm-hmm. crises where it's like, all I do is sit in meetings. It's like, what am I going to get work? What am I going to do work? What will I do is sit in meetings. And then they're realizing like, oh, my job is to be in meetings. <laughs> it's not polishing that spreadsheet. It's making sure that the company is going the right direction and the team is all pulling together to get there. Yeah, and it's about carving out time to do strategic forward thinking work that only somebody who has a real global view of the business and of the industry can do on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's another place where when I work with leaders, either in a coaching Mm -hmm. capacity Mm -hmm. or to Mm -hmm. develop their skill set, that's a place where I see often a lot of opportunity and hunger to learn is what does it mean to be a strategic leader? How much time do I need to carve out? What do I do with that time? And how do I make sure that I'm not spending the balance of my time just on the day-to-day, but that I'm carving out space to look out three, five, 10, 25 years and thinking what could be? Right. I think it's important too to realize that strategy isn't just for leaders. It's for individual contributors as well, because Mm -hmm. it's not just... The strategy operates at different levels, but, you know, I keep bringing up spreadsheets. I don't know why, but, you know, the, how an individual contributor goes about collecting their data, analyzing their data, presenting their data, they should have a roadmap for that too, you know, that they should be trying to Mm -hmm. figure out in order for me to help management be, you know, this kind of gets back to the empowering and back to effective upward management. It's like, what can I be doing to enable myself, my peers and my, my leadership team to be more effective and carving out that time as well. And you need a strategy for your department, you need a strategy for your teams, mm-hmm. and your team members all need a strategy as well. And, and you're absolutely right. People need to carve time out and it needs to be part of a regular cycle. You know, you can't spend, you shouldn't be redoing strategy quarterly. You know, if your strategy is changing quarterly, if you have a different issue. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, but at least once a year doing the strategy and then sitting down quarterly and just going, so how are we doing against that? How are we making progress against that? How do we need to tweak it? How do we stay the course on this thing? Yeah, I'm working with director of quality at a large company and It's been fun to work with her because she's in that position you described of she's Mm -hmm. not leading the enterprise strategy. Mm -hmm. Historically, quality has been treated like an internal service provider that's an order taker. And what's been fun is we think about, okay, what's possible if we carve Mm -hmm. out time to do strategy differently? How Mm -hmm. could quality bring insights and bring ideas and bring yes. new propelling yes. questions to the table mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the enterprise strategy group to not just be an order taker, but be a partner in thinking about yes. if we were open to fundamentally transforming what quality did, here are some mm-hmm. choices mm-hmm. and here's what that would unlock for the business. And I think that's where in a space we're at, where we're on this precipice of another big wave of technological innovation and change. Mm-hmm. 
that's where we are with strategies. You've got to be mm-hmm. thinking fundamentally mm-hmm. differently. So mm-hmm. really creating space to use those types of creative activities right. to help right. people get into a different mindset, mm-hmm. come into a shared space together and really step out of the day-to-day and say, what? Right. What yeah, just to- no, it's interesting. And I think what you're talking about is a totally unconstrained exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think too often people constrain themselves to what they see or they think is possible. And I think what is actually possible typically is much broader than what people think is possible. But they're not willing to take the risk and put their head out there and say, how about this? Because they don't want to get slapped on like, we don't have money for that, which may happen. But I have found that stepping out a little bit farther, proposing something a little bit more wild, proposing a budget which is four times bigger than you think you'll get, sometimes it works. And you typically end up in a better place than you were before. But you have to have a management team which will allow quality to take that role and allow quality to go play in their sandbox. Yeah. And I think that's where bringing in the principles of agile, bringing in the principles of Mm cross-functional teams are really Mm -hmm. important because Mm -hmm. as long as you have quality in one department with its own set of metrics and incentives Mm -hmm. around, you know, this many products have defects, this is the percentage of, you know, compliance that we have. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your product teams who have their own goals and incentives related to how quickly do we get to market? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're going to have, even if you work on building those relationships at that Mm -hmm. leadership level to help cascade a different Mm -hmm. way of collaboration Mm -hmm. down, you're still going to have a fundamental tension that's going to make it very hard for those new mindsets and processes to be sticky. And in those cases, that's where I think it's really important for organizations to be, if their people listening are running into this issue where you have departments that keep butting heads, ask, do they have goals and incentives that are aligned mm-hmm. or that go like this? And yes. if they're, yes. if the goals and incentives are contradictory, you really need to think about, okay, how do we set goals and incentives that are shared and mm-hmm. encourage us to work together better? So quality should have goals related to speed to market and product mm-hmm. should have goals related to you know defects right. and compliance and i think that's where organizations sometimes fail to your point to do the process and the structure changes necessary to enable the type of collaboration and business results that mm-hmm. they want to mm-hmm. see no i totally agree with you that there needs to be a healthy tension and i think it's not just the incentive scheme i think it's also in the hiring, because you talked about mindset, which mm-hmm. I think is so important. You have to have, I think, to hire in or promote people or put people in roles who have a mindset where they value a healthy tension. Yeah. The piece on mindset, I think, is so important. And we've talked about the value of clarifying norms for how a team works together. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a, I have a framework I use with teams. It's the seven mindsets of a leader. And it's mm-hmm. essentially seven different choices that Mm -hmm. we have around ways in which we can, or lenses we can use through which Mm -hmm. we can see the world. Mm -hmm. And I always invite teams both as individuals and then as a collective to explore what are the mindsets we bring into our work today and how are those complementary, and how do those sometimes lead us to conflict? Not because Mm -hmm. we have different ultimate goals or we don't like each other, but just because we're looking at a situation with Mm -hmm. two very different lenses. 
And then we'll use that framework to talk about what are mindsets that we want to adopt as a team when we collaborate Mm -hmm. that help us to enter into a collaborative space from, you know, a productive shared perspective. And that work, I think, is such an integral part of setting team Mm -hmm. norms because it Mm -hmm. helps people who often have naturally very different inclinations to come into a conversation with a shared perspective. Right. I think, you know, in some performance reviews, they put people in this matrix of willingness versus ability. It's, you know, the ability is, can they do it? And the other Mm -hmm. is, do they want to do it? (laughs) It's you kind of need to have the confluence of both for someone to be effective. And I, I think that also applies in this situation here because you can identify what needs to be done. But the big challenge is how do you get people to be both willing and able to make that change? You know, the mm-hmm. willingness to change, I think a lot of, and again, for both of those, I think those are things that the leader, you know, as they're empowering their team can have a dramatic impact on, you know, the the attitude that you go in with, you know, the mandate that came down from corporate may not be what I wanted it to be. And if I let the team know that and grouse about how, what a lousy direction this is, that team is not going to be performing well in terms of enabling the corporate. So, you know, so modeling, you know, modeling the change, modeling the acceptance of change, you know, and then the ability is working with people, again, you know, people, process tools, systems, et cetera, political support. What do they need to be able to change? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, are there any externalities or anything within the team that needs to be addressed in order to be able to move forward? And that gets to our earlier conversation about the definition of empowered leadership, which is in part about resourcing people appropriately so that they're right. you're closing that ability gap. All right. Well, we have to hit the pause button there. Thank you so much for tuning in as I hope you can tell this was a really special conversation, so special that I'm continuing the fun in part two. And on behalf of the Empowered Leadership team, thank you so much for listening and have a lovely day. To find out more on how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact with confidence, ease, and joy, please visit my website, opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And then please make sure to search for Empowered Leadership wherever you get your podcasts and click to subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please do share with a friend or a colleague. It makes a big difference. Thank you so much and have a lovely day.